This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. There's only a week left before Christmas and hospitals, doctors, public health officials and politicians are bracing themselves for the worst. We know that some hospitals are already cutting back on elective surgeries. We set yet another record of new cases today, 2,432, 2,432 people newly sick in one day. So as you heard in Bob's news, Ontario's hospitals are calling for new and stricter lockdowns in hard-hit regions, and that request is from the Ontario Hospital Association after an emergency meeting. They want a a four-week lockdown in every public health unit with an infection rate of 40 per 100,000 or higher. And uh, I think they also want tougher enforcement because, you know, here in Toronto, we are already in lockdown as they are in Peel and in York. But I can tell you for sure, there are way more people out and about this time than there were last spring. So let me give you the numbers about what you think. 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. Right now, let's bring in Dr. Barry Pecos, who is a professor at the University of Toronto's Dalalana School of Public Health, Dr. Timothy Sly, an epidemiologist and professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University, and Dr. Samantha Hill, president of the Ontario Medical Association. Thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. Hello. Good morning, Libby. Okay, let us begin with Dr. Hill, um, are you seeing, I, I'm not sure if I can put my finger on what exactly is different here in Toronto. The rules are the same in the lockdown, but it's definitely not the same. Well, there's so much that's different, Libby, and thanks for asking the question. I hope you're keeping well. There is, first of all, we didn't shut down schools and we didn't shut down some of the other services that we had shut down the first time around which, of course, leads to increased transit and increased people moving back and forth between communities and around. Anyone who's dropping their child off at school needs to get their child to that school, etc. And the other thing is that we're closer to the holidays and it's colder and winter is coming. People don't want to hang out in parks anymore. Now they're hanging out indoors. And so it's harder to follow those guidelines. And I think there's also been a little bit of lack of clarity that we're actually asking people to do the same thing as much as they can as we did those first few months. So that would be my short answer to that question. Dr. Sly, yesterday we heard from the mayor of Mississauga. She wants lockdown across the province because she believes that a problem is people going from one region to the next. And uh, do you have evidence that that's a source of transmission? I mean, I think a problem is the inconsistency of some of the rules and those big lineups at big box stores. But that's me. There's clearly not one uh, 
uh, a hot spot for transmission. It's happening all over the place. So the people moving, migrating from one area to another, going shopping in an area that's has less restriction, that's probably one aspect to it. We know that uh, the Maritimes maintained a, a very healthy bubble there for quite a long while by restricting people coming from outside. But, of course, there were little infringes there as it, as it happened. The, the point is, Libby, that this virus doesn't hang around. It doesn't float like a fruit fly waiting to ambush somebody coming along. It's really got to go from person A to person B within seconds or a few minutes at most. And that means that it should be easy to control this. And somehow it's moving from person to person to person exponentially through the community. It shouldn't happen like that. It can be controlled. And the big question is, what, what can we do to simply stop that happening like that? Dr. Pecos, hello. Hello, good morning. Uh, yeah, good afternoon. Um, oh, afternoon, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, so d- does just extending the lockdown to the regions that are not in lockdown, do you see that as a solution or a deterrent or anything like that? You know, I, I, there's no question that it would help a, somewhat. The question is, is it going to help a lot or is it going to create so much of a backlash that it's actually going to be counterproductive? Um, and certainly the, the medical officers of health, the municipal leaders in, in areas that are just not seeing that much COVID activity would be understandably uh, and are frustrated, you know, by, by calls to shut them down as well. They don't see a, a purpose to it. And, and other people, even in the GTA, can latch on to that frustration. And it just creates a, a social dynamic that may not be helpful, but it certainly may be necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think that you, you're thinking that it would work a little bit, but but not a lot? Not, not a, a lot. And, and really, you know, there's not a lot of, for us to go on right now in terms of this particular measure, because it's, it's uh, you know, as was already said, it's, it's combined with the fact that the holidays are coming. And, um, you know, and we're seeing this increase just before uh, the holidays are coming. And, and actually, we've had this a, a couple of times where we have sort of you know, Thanksgiving coming as we're just at a, a precipice and, you know, we have to see how things go. I think that the key thing about traveling in different areas is, is not the traveling itself, is that when people are traveling, they're traveling in order to interact with other people. And that interactivity is what does it. And, and we really have to just get that message across that you should not be interacting with anyone outside of your household, whether that person lives in a different region than you or whether that person lives next door. Yeah, um, Dr. Hill, one thing that that I'm seeing from people informally is that people seem to be making their own decisions. They're saying, you know what, um, it'll be okay if uh, one couple gets together with enough, another couple who are kind of in the same age bracket and are pretty careful and don't interact with children and, and another family will make another decision. Is, is that what you're finding in the community? <clears throat> yeah, well, free will and social freedoms are certainly um, essential, but it ch- make controlling the virus a challenge. If we could just trap everyone where we needed them to be and not have them interact with other people, as we said, um, you know, we'd get the virus under control very rapidly because it's not walking around on its own feet. It's walking around on ours. But the... I'm not one to blame people. I think people could be making better choices, but I also think we could be much clearer in what we're asking them to do. And that's what I've been trying to do the last few days, at the very least, is tell people, look, the essential workers can't stay home. The essential workers are going in to make sure there's food on your table, that there's health care when you need it, that there's, you know, 
transportation industry, getting things where you need them to be so we don't run out of toilet paper again. Hmm. And you can't put food on other people's table and you can't ensure there's toilet paper and you can't save lives in the hospital. But you can help by staying home for the holidays. And I know people are thinking that it's just me and it's not going to make a difference. But every one of those just me's has the potential to cost someone else a life. And if we can get that message out there really quickly and really loudly, I do have faith that the Ontario public will do what they need to do. Uh, Dr. Pegas, we know more about the virus now. So what have we learned that could help us? I mean, I remember at the very beginning when when we thought, oh, my God, I might get it from the surface and we're all, you know, uh, drowning in Lysol and and it's it's not really from touch now. Uh, But, you know, why when we have more knowledge, is it becoming harder? Well, I think we there's no question we have more knowledge about the virus itself. Um, but it, as is true with humanity, you know, for thousands of years, we, we don't quite understand how people socialize and interact with each other. We don't understand how the human mind reacts to new and different situations, especially like this one. And, and while, you know, while we can learn some things from what we did last week or the week before, you know, at least, you know, that it's only been a year now, our, our cycle, our annual cycle of what happens in our society, that it becomes winter Christmas time happens. We, we don't have a lot to go on there in terms of our understanding of people. Um, but we do certainly know now that it's, the instructions to people are simpler. It's, it's less about what you're touching. It's, it's, um, you know, we don't have to worry that much about aerosols, even though, you know, that still is a concern. It's just interacting with people. Do not interact with other people outside your household. So in that way, you know, we have moved forward. We've made the messaging, I think, simpler. Mm-hmm. But the numbers are getting worse. And we, and the messaging about masking, I think, uh, has taken hold for most people. Uh, so, you know, again, the numbers are going up. I know that it's winter, but but still. So I guess it's the stay at home part that that's the, the difficulty there. You know, what it really is, it's a combination of things. But at this point, um, you know, as we're going, you know, 2000 to 2500 kind of thing, um, one of the real drivers, unfortunately, is that it's it's a multiplier effect. So you have public health units, whether they're dealing with workplace outbreaks or whether they're dealing with school outbreaks or just regular case and contact management. When the cases get this high, they just can't manage all of these outbreaks. And when that happens, um, you know, testing also, you know, it takes a little bit longer to get that test result back. Even if it's just 24 hours, that that you know, interval it allows people to spread it just that little bit more. And so when we increase up into the, you know, 1800 to 2000, it's very easy to get much higher than that because it's just this multiplier effect. That our public health system and our healthcare system and the testing system gets overwhelmed. And that's why right now it's so critically important that people do the right thing. Uh, Dr. Sly, do you think we're on track for one of those worst case scenario- scenarios that we've seen from the Dalolana School of Public Health? Oh, absolutely. All the data we get are all already out of date. If a case is reported today, uh, it was really about one to two weeks ago the infection took place. A hospitalization means three to four weeks ago, and a death reported today is about five weeks ago the infection took place. 
And don't forget that the actual infection rate is, no, is far, far greater than the reported case rate. We can work backwards and assume that uh, 33 deaths today, for example, reported. It means about five weeks ago, there was probably about 3,300 infections taking place. Now, one to, one to two out of those three are not uh, in, they're invisible. They're moving through the community. That's the problem. We don't see that with influenza. If you're ill, you look ill and you, you sound ill. But here, the, uh, two-thirds of people, at least half, two-thirds of people are uh, silently spreading it around. One of the things we, we, we innocently thought at the beginning is that this thing would spread evenly through the community. But it's been very evident that three aspects have, uh, have, have diverted from that. One is that specific sectors were involved. Initially, it was long-term care homes and then agriculture and meatpacking plants and so on. And then the different age groups would be affected in vastly different ways, almost a thousand times more if you're in the senior area with underlying uh, comorbidities than if you're a youngster. And the third thing is it only takes one person to uh, to s- produce what we can now popularly call a super spreader event. It doesn't take evenly spread from everybody. It takes one person to be careless, take off the mask, start singing, shouting, whatever it is, and you've got a, a real outbreak there. Uh, just very quick uh, question, Dr. Sly. Are we sure? Do we know exactly what the mortality rate is? Yeah, it's been, every time you look at it really closely, the the infection fatality rate, because we have to use that word rather than the case fatality rate, is close to 1%. Probably goes between 0.7 and 1.2, something like that. So if you take, take the number of deaths and multiply them by uh, by that factor, you get the approximate number of infections were taking place five weeks ago. Okay. Um, Dr. Hill, I know you have to go. So uh, before we go to break and continue with the other two doctors, what would you like to leave us with? Well, I'll just leave you with the knowledge that the Ontario Medical Association is in complete agreement with what we're hearing from our public health physician colleagues and our sector experts. And as a result, we're probably, we are definitely going to be calling for a lockdown of at least the GTA in the greater Hamilton area until after New Year's. We also strongly suspect that there's going to be need to make the difficult decision to extend winter break for students in regions that are in lockdowns. Again, it's not necessarily about any individual, but while many children are asymptomatic, they're spreading the virus to others in the community. And those people, some of them are getting very critically ill. We are at a space where hospitals are already preparing for a surge in cases. Doctors are worrying about running out of resources to take care of the sick. And this is the time where every action, every decision that the general public makes has consequences. And I encourage everyone to think about that as they make their plans for the holidays. Okay. Uh, Dr. Hill, thank you so much. Happy holidays. If we don't talk before then, but we might, we are setting record after record every day. The authorities and some politicians are calling for further lockdowns and further enforcement. We've, we've got lockdowns in a lot of places, but as I said, they are not the same as they were last spring. And on that note, I'll take a call from Linda in Hamilton. Hi, Linda. Oh, hi, Libby. I enjoy your show very much. Both Thank my you. husband and I do. Um, I just have a brief comment. Back on July 29th, he's been keeping track, Ontario had 76 new cases that were reported, and I think the highest it had been previous to that was back on the 24th of April. It was 640, nothing near the 2,000 and some that we have now. And I'm just wondering if a stricter lockdown is the answer to to help the numbers go down and stay down. 
Well, um, I think we have a somewhat split opinion. I think that Dr. Pecos thinks that it'll help a bit, but not that much. And, and Dr. Sly, are you um, a little more uh, uh, in favor or a little more optimistic about what it would do? Technically, a lockdown would really bring an end to it. If you can keep everybody away from everybody else, I mean, in theory, for uh, two incubation periods, just to be sure, then the thing would go away. But, of course, mm-hmm. you can't really do that. You still need taxi drivers. You still need people looking after long-term care patients. You still need people in hospitals and ambulance drivers and so on. So it's difficult to do that completely. But you can achieve almost a complete... Uh, it's been done. China did it after 82,000 cases. Australia did it after the, the, the huge second wave. They brought it right back down to zero again. It can be done. Uh, I think we should do a lot more. Okay. Libby, I just... I want to clarify, Libby. I uh, the The kind of... Um, lockdown that that is sort of being proposed now, sort of some target interventions, I think will help, you know, somewhat. But but I, I would certainly agree with Dr. Sly that if, if we go back into the kind of lockdown that we were in March with a full, you know, two incubation periods, absolute total lockdown, you know, there's no question that will help. I, I just don't know if that's politically, um, you know, possible. Uh, right now. I, I would say it isn't. Linda, by the way, thank you for your call. Okay, thank you. But but here's the thing. When when I look at it, you have the same uh, the same list of places designated as essential services. There might be a few more. I mean, hardware stores are open, and they have this total nonsense with with the big box stores saying that they're essential services and and selling you know, um, I don't know, stuffed toys and, and whatever. Uh, so, I mean, I think that contributes to people not, not, not observing it, but, but on paper, it looks much the same, but I'm looking outside my window and outside my window, it does not look the same. Dr. Pegas, I mean, yes, you, you are certainly right. It, it doesn't look the same. One of the big pieces of that is just that, that, incredible fear and uncertainty that, that we all had in, in March and April is, is just no longer with us. And the other thing is, of course, that in, in, in this big push to learn to live with it, we're trying to achieve that kind of balance. The, the other big thing, of course, is schools. So when, when schools actually close, um, if, if they do and everyone is at home, that really does restrict, you know, those parents who are still able to, you know, you know, do what is para-essential, or at least considered essential, but they might be able to, to not do that. When those parents are home because they have to be, and there's this sort of very clear, not some people out, some people are in, but very clear, almost everybody is in, you know, there's a degree of clarity and opportunities for enforcement that might actually, or, or most certainly would, be able to curb some of the cases. You you just anticipated my next question, and that is that if if they extend the school break period, can that be a solution, Dr. Sly? It might be. The schools are clearly are acting as a mixing vessel here, a giant petri dish, if you like. Families are keeping to their bubbles. Everything's fine. They send little Willie or Jane off to school, and they're fine. They're quite asymptomatic. They meet other little kids who don't have, seem to have any infection at all. But it's very possible that you can get that number of kids together, that even one of them in a class can spread it to another five or six, 
they go home to their families. And what an awful thing to realize that this little kid, the 10 years old, without knowing that they even had it, was actually brought the virus home and gave granddad the illness, and he's now died. And what an awful guilt trip that would be. There's no way around that, really. I mean, schools can be. Taiwan has been running with complete schools all the way from the beginning. But, of course, it's too late to catch up to Taiwan. They simply had so much protection and precaution at the beginning. But, yeah, schools are, are a potential problem. We, we, I don't think they are much of a real problem we've seen, but the potential is there for sure. Yeah, Taiwan was, uh, I mean, amazing. And uh, they they did not listen to the World Health Organization at the beginning. And uh, they have a mask-wearing culture even before. Uh, a strange story, my, my husband was uh, traveling home from a big trip in the Far East uh, uh, the last day of last February, and he went through the Taiwan airport, and he's, he was the only person there not wearing a mask, and, and a stranger went up to him and gave him one. I used to live there, Olivia, and uh, in Taiwan, or even Hong Kong or Tokyo, even a normal day, pre-pandemic, it was not unusual to see uh, quite a good percentage of people on the streetcar or on the street wearing a mask anyway. It's part of a normal way of life. But uh, here it was so different, it took a long while to get up to that level. Hmm. So possibly if if it's extended to the schools, Dr. Pecos, that might bring it under control? I think the school, you know, I'd agree with Dr. Sly. The schools are a, a piece of it. I think, you know, it is also really difficult to say, what, you know, how much closing schools is going to help because I think, um, you know, the honest truth is that when we do close schools, if we do, and I think certainly in Toronto and the GTA will be, they will be closed uh, starting or at least go virtual, um, kids are going to get together outside of school. And many have already, many are in certain communities, and it really does differ by sub-community. And when they do that, they're actually at much more of a risk than we're act- when they're actually in school itself. So it is a careful balance. It's hard to, um, you know, it- it's hard to make that decision. But the honest truth is, as I mentioned earlier on, once you have a situation where there are so many kids, so many cohorts that are sent home because of a case here, a case there, because the levels in the community are high enough, it just doesn't make sense to run school in person either. So you know, I, I think schools are, are not going to solve the problem. But w- what you've been talking about now, I only I know we just have a moment, is that it's, it's really hard for us to just transplant, as you've mentioned, what's going on in Taiwan to what happened in Canada or even, you know, Australia. Because Impossible. We just, yeah, go we, ahead. We do have underlying different cultures. It's like the American saying, just take what's going on in Ontario, because we're still doing better than most places there. But, you know, even though we're neighbors, you know, and transplanting Ontario culture into, you know, Montana is not going to solve the problem. Well, it, exactly. And and I I just think let's not compare ourselves to them because we're we're not going to get to anything good. We'll just feel better about ourselves. Uh, I mean, they're definitely not an example in this, our neighbors to the south. Uh, the the Some of the teachers' federations are calling for teachers to be prioritized for a vaccine. Would you agree with that, Dr. Sly? Yeah, I certainly agree with the, the fact that we, we, we need to be testing. Uh, a lot more people in a more strategic way. And we've been saying that since the very beginning, since at least the end of March and June. At the, at the moment, Canada sits at number 45 position in the world in terms of numbers of tests per million population. Number 45. We should be in the top 10, a wealthy country like Canada. This is groping around in the dark. It's like controlling a virus. We're using Braille 
we, we can't see who's got the virus and who doesn't have it. There's absolutely no reason to have been using testing, including the rapid testing, uh, repeatedly, constantly among people who have a, a public uh, connection position. It's a condition of their employment to continue their work. Dr. Pecos, should we prioritize teachers for getting the vaccine? Um, I do think teachers should be prioritized over many other groups. Um, I, I don't think they should be prioritized over other essential workers and, and certainly not over, uh, over people who are at more risk of dying of the disease. So, you know, they're going to be above, you know, many people who work in other office environments or, you know, banking, finance, that kind of thing. No offense to those folks. Um, but I don't think they should be right at the front of the line. Um, you know, they, sh- they should be, you know, around where we put all the other people who are working in congregate settings. Um, which will be, you know, I, I think, you know, in the spring or, or even a bit earlier, um, but, but not, you know, right up at the top there with, with healthcare workers and people in long-term care facilities. That, that just doesn't make sense. There are situations like influenza, for example, where, where kids and teachers are known to be, you know, significant spreaders. That doesn't seem to be so much the case with COVID-19. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I'm getting a little confused because my understanding, starting with comments from Teresa Tam, uh, you know, we know why we went with healthcare workers, that it was going to be simple and by age and kind of going down in five year increments. So I'm not sure where a teacher would fit in that. So, I mean, it's it's going to be starting with people 80 and over, then going down to 75 and so forth. Yeah, there are a lot of groups. There are a lot of people. There's, there's 1.3 million Canadians above the age of 80. So, you know, there are a lot of people who are going to be ahead of teachers. You know, it is a strategic interest of our entire society to keep kids in school, and that probably does mean immunizing teachers relatively early. Um, but the idea that they're going to be right at the top there in, the, in phase one, I, I don't think that that should happen. Oh, okay. I just looked at the time. I'm uh, talking too much. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Fascinating conversation. Uh, unfortunately, I think uh, we're going to have to be talking about this again very soon. Thank you so much, Dr. Barry Pecos and Dr. Timothy Sly. Thanks, Libby. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. You too. And uh, as we said, there's a, we think it may be a big announcement coming down from uh, the Premier and the Long-Term Care Minister. And Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow. So if you couldn't get by or have something else you want to talk about, we'll be here ready to take your calls on whatever you want to talk about. That's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.